Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I watched a program on a famous actor in his life recently. He's very wealthy, very famous, starred in a lot of popular movies, and is pretty much recognizable instantly all over the world. And his story isn't unusual for celebrities. Humble beginnings, struggling in the industry, getting married early, wait for your big break, and then you're discovered. And the fame rolls in, the money rolls in, affairs begin, divorce happens, a lot of time dedicated to the job, another marriage, and lots of drugs and alcohol, and so on. I don't believe this is the case for every celebrity, but it is a common scenario in the lives of the rich and famous. When Jesus was addressing his disciples and the crowd of the curious who had gathered around him in Mark chapter 8, he had just rebuked Peter with those famous words, Get behind me, Satan. And Peter, relying on his own understanding, again, and not trusting in Jesus' words, stepped on yet another landmine where Jesus had to put him back in his place. It's after this that he calls everyone to him and begins to teach about the cost of following him. This is where you find that verse I so often quote on this podcast because it's so important and so few people really get it, in my opinion. And that is Mark eight thirty four. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So saving one's life is the point of his teaching. Receiving salvation by faith in God's grace was something strange to many of them. They were Jews, and they believed largely that because they were the chosen people of God, they had a right standing before God, and salvation was going to come automatically, despite how disobedient they were. And sadly, many in the church have a similar view in that because I go to church and I got baptized, I'm automatically in. Not so fast. There's some prereqs. Trusting in the Lord and leaning not on our own understanding is up there in the top of the list. We must believe and trust in him, otherwise this doesn't work. We miss everything because we can convince ourselves that we're really not that bad of a person, and that because of the good things that I do, God owes me something, and he should allow me into his heavenly kingdom. Just look at the neat things I've done. That's wrong. Denying ourselves, I now live for Jesus. I listen to his voice, read his word, and do what he says and his word says. And even though we're all on different levels of faith, trusting him and denying ourselves is a huge part of our relationship with Jesus. Without it, it doesn't work. And then taking up our cross, this means that we are marching to our death willingly. And not necessarily a death wish, a physical death, although that could be part of it. This means we're fully in And I think this is important before water baptism to be in, to get it. So yeah, I'm in. I'm ready for this. I'm ready to commit my life to this. When we are ready to lay it all down for Jesus, that's when we know something big has happened in our lives. I'm on my way to the end and I'm not wavering and following him. A follower of Jesus should really know Jesus. How can you follow someone you don't know? You can follow teaching. A lot of people follow teachers teaching, but Jesus never said to follow his teaching. He said, follow me. And this still holds true. And obviously his teaching is something that we try to obey. But he's there. He's real. His spirit is in us. And we must follow him because we know him. And we have an intimate relationship with him. And we spend time with him. And we are in 
prayer alone in the car, at work, wherever. We're connecting with him. We're communing with him. That's what having communion means. We continually have him on our mind because he is our king. That's a good sign. So the rich and famous who live their lives in wickedness towards God, not to mention those who aren't rich and famous, but these particularly, in their end, when they pass through that threshold of mortal death into mortality without repentance, all that selfish living costs them something big, their soul. Their eternity is now going to be spent separated from God, and despite many who don't believe in the afterlife, it's a reality they will experience if they don't come to that place where they are before God on their face, crying out for mercy. And when that happens, they'll get mercy. And like we, who have been on our face before God because we realize how screwed up we are, we were adopted into the family of God. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. His will is to bring every person into his family, and those who will believe are the ones that accept that. And this is good news. For all those people who understand they will continue existing after their body dies, this adoption means they have the rights of the other children after the adoption is complete. And think about being adopted into a wealthy, prominent family as a poor, lower-class, labeled person. You enter this new house and you feel awkward and you don't really feel like you belong because this is so different than what you're used to. The new family looks at you and you look at them, it's kind of awkward. And then they give you a document saying that you are formally adopted into the family and despite your previous life, you are now an equal heir in the family. You're on the same level as the biological children of the mother and the father. And I don't know that we fully grasp what that means when we apply that to God's adoption. But all those really righteous people that have faithfully lived their lives for the Lord, and you know the kind of people you feel unworthy to be around. I don't know if you've ever been around people like that. But they're just godly. They just radiate goodness, and you feel like a complete loser next to them. Well, from now on, you have the same status in the family as they do. And they might have more rewards awaiting them in heaven, but you're an equal heir to the kingdom. And that's cool. And it's eternal. So living our lives with eternity in mind means we're going to be different here. We're going to behave different. We're going to make different choices because our mind is not set on fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Our mind is fixed on fulfilling the will of God and searching out what that will is. But many won't venture into this depth of faith where they commit to Christ. Like Jesus said in Matthew 7, there's only a few that find life, and that's sad. In Mark 8, 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So one of the major events in the Bible which is spoken of in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the coming of this kingdom where God is going to fix everything and rule and reign. And when this current age ends and that new kingdom is established, the world will become a different place. And at that time, Jesus will come with his angels and his saints, or the children of God, and establish his throne on earth. And those who refuse to turn from their wickedness and become part of the family of God, which God has prepared for whosoever believes, they won't be there, according to the scriptures. So if the scriptures are true, and if you can take them at face value, humanity has an invitation to the kingdom of God, and even where there is no knowledge of Jesus, such as remote communities out in jungles and places like that where there's no exposure to the gospel, God will deal with each one of them according to his will, and he will be able to discern who is righteous and who is wicked. So we don't have to worry about those people unless God is calling you to missionary work, then you got to follow your calling because that's what God's calling you to do. 
In the book of Revelation, we see the wrath of God poured out on the world. And what's interesting is that God does not pour out his wrath all at once. Rather, he does it in increments. And in that incremental judgment, there's apparently an expectation of repentance, but they refused. And there is a little often overlooked verse mentioning his love and discipline in his creation in Revelation 3.19 to one of the churches that he wrote a letter to. Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So if you're feeling like you're getting reproved and disciplined, it's because God loves you. And so he says, be zealous, have zeal and repent. But listen to what it says in Revelation 9, 20, as God is pouring out his wrath. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or thefts. Skip forward seven chapters to Revelation sixteen nine. It says they were scorched by fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. What a sad state of being. Everything's falling apart in the world. People are being radically chastened by plagues and all kinds of stuff, and they still refuse to repent. But what's interesting to me are the things that they will choose over Jesus. Worshiping demons, worshiping idols, murder, sorceries. That word sorcery, the word pharmakia. Drugs, witchcraft, magic, that kind of stuff. That's where we get our word pharmacy from. Sexual immorality, surprise, surprise, and theft. Instead, they curse God. There has to be a very strong demonic influence controlling these people, but that's the way some people are. They choose these things all the way down to their death, and it ruins their lives in the process, and they still keep on doing them. And there is a good example of the rich and famous. Many of them who have ended up dead from drug overdoses, from suicide, from whatever, they're constantly choosing things that are wicked. And all the while, God's like, no, no, no. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. So what will a man give for his soul? A short life following the devil and forfeiting an eternity with God. We don't want to do that. We want our life to honor God. We don't want to curse God. And repentance is such a huge part of that relationship with God. So if you're entangled in all kinds of weird things, be zealous and repent. Turn from those things. Ask God, give me the strength. He will. And be adopted into the new family of God and assume your place as an equal heir to the kingdom. Thank you.